Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and Syria Ah specialist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on Over the Ball, we talk to MLS coach Dominic Kinnear. He took over as interim coach of the Galaxy and uh, gave them actually a little, a little burst there and almost got him into the playoffs. He's actually one of the winningest coaches in MLS history and uh, was one hell of a player in his day. It was a, it was a while ago, but man, the kid could, could get it done. Uh, but a lot of other things to talk about today, Champions League action, EPL stuff, MLS stuff. Uh, so guys, before we get going on all that, what are we over today on Over the Ball? Uh, Grail, Sam, who wants to go first? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump um, in uh, yeah, I'm over uh, Jurgen Klopp's obsession with the scheduling of games, which has now gotten to a point where following every match post-game interview, he's having ranting about it at, at the person who's interviewing him as if the person who's interviewing him is just setting the schedule. Sam, didn't, didn't Grail complain about this last week? No, I think so. No, no, no. Well, no. because okay. no, because it came up. This was a seven-minute inter- post-game interview where he went off on it. And the fact is that his, his club, Liverpool agrees to the schedule. So right. if he has a beef, he should take it to the board of directors of Liverpool and have them work it out with the FA. I mean, but, but, but know, to, to be going at the BT commentator and complaining about real. a 12:30 game, I yeah. get it. He's protecting his players. I get it. But it's like not, at this point, I think he's actually embarrassing himself. Well, I I thought. See now, my take on that one. If I can comment on what you're over, sure. <laughs> was, I was watching that. I was annoyed at the announcer. I was annoyed at the interviewer because it was like he was trying to defend himself in real time. It's almost like I watched the press conferences with with uh, our president Donald Trump. And he'll say something, and then he just – that the reporters don't get to shout a follow-up question or say something else. Uh, you don't get to say anything else. And this – that reporter kept pleading his case. And I'm like – Well, actually you, – You interview Klopp. He gives his views. You don't give yours. And then let the, the – I thought what he said was don't take it up with me. Take it up with your club or take it up with – he said, but he said, I'm not setting the schedule, which was totally accurate because Klopp was getting irritated with him. Yeah, but he was defending. Anyway, he was defending himself. I'm kind of like. Don't anyway, I, I think it's taking the focus off just like coach. I, I think it's hurting Klopp from a management perspective because he's gotten highly distracted by this whole thing. Well, man, but this is where and he's the team's not, and, and his team's not playing as well. So let's we have to. Yeah, they're still at the top of the table, and they're in the yeah. Champions League, and yet you know he's. This is where really coaches the rubber hits the road because he's dealing yeah. with all those injuries and all the pressure of like you're a top team and. You got to play like, uh, you know, like that every single game or else everybody hits the panic button. Sam, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Yeah, so I'm curious to get your guys' take on this, but what I'm over this week is watching soccer in the morning and the middle of the day. Um, I, you know, I think it has to do with the fact it's getting darker earlier and there's no hockey going on right now, which is my usual, you know, nighttime sport this time of year. But, you know, watching the Champions League games this week, and, you know, seeing the sort of daytime TV ads you get with them just has this kind of depressing yeah. feeling. Um, and I watched uh, the Italian broadcast of the Dortmund-Lazio game and just remembering what it feels like to watch a Champions League game at 8.45 at night, you know, when it's like supposed to be. But, but the reason I bring it up also is because a lot of people on Twitter I've seen actually prefer 
you know, the way the schedule lines up here in the U.S., especially in the East Coast. Um, you know, for Serie A, for example, you get up, there's a game at 9 a.m., there's a game at noon, and there's a game at 2.45. Some people prefer that, but I, I'm just getting a little tired of it. All right. Well, it's cutting what, into your other activities, clearly, yeah. Sam. Well, what are, you, well, what are your, what are your I, thoughts? I like the early games. I like the 7.30, flip it on, watch. I mean, if it's a good game. Yeah. You know, having the options of like th- three consecutive, just for the EPL, you know, three options consecutively, I, I kind of like, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, my it's easy. It's interesting. It's what you get used to. You know, uh, when I was living on the West Coast, the games were like insanely early, and yet people mm-hmm. would still be there for, you know, bangers and mash you know, at the bar. But it was, uh, I, I like waking up in the morning when there's, you know, when I'm, there's no one in the house. Well, there's someone in the house, but they're all sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. I get up and I get to watch that first game just with a cup of coffee, and I just love it. You know, and um, it, I'd often thought MLS should should have games at that time. I don't know how they could because seven thirty on the they East Coast, it just you know would just blocked out. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy my morning games. I really do. When I watch one in the afternoon, I sometimes feel like um, um, my life is moving you know past me without doing anything. You know, and it, you, I don't feel lazy when I'm watching it in the morning. And someone walks by and they're like, "What are you watching? Another game?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." But when it's in the afternoon, I'm kind of like, you know. You guys, but you wouldn't have any problem watching an NFL game at one o'clock or four o'clock, would you? Well, I actually, you know, then you mentioned it when I lived in, in California, I liked it because the games were over. You still had you could go to dinner and stuff mm-hmm. and have a sort of feel like you have a day on the East coast. You watch that, that game at one and then the game after it at three, it's like dark and it's over your whole, your yeah. whole day on with two games. Um, so but that four o'clock game always cuts into 60 minutes. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's always late. Uh, Sixty minutes is always late coming on because mm-hmm. of or something. So, all right. So, um, I don't know if that answered your question, Sam. But uh, yeah, in a way, we'll, we'll move on. Um, I'm over this a la carte thing that I've got to do with just watching my games, man. Uh, you know, I've always complained about a cable bill, which got absolutely absurd. You know, they're charging two fifty a month and more to, to watch everything. But so I kind of cut the cord, and now I'm, you know. Uh, I bought CBS online. I've got Peacock online. I've got Apple TV online. It's like it's starting to add up. So I think they're yeah. just going to get you. They're going to get you another way, and it's a bummer because you know there's so much sports on television. But you know why this game soccer that we always had a hard time trying to find, and it was like trying to find water in the desert. Uh, now we have a lot of games on, but you got to pay for every single one. It's the way the world's going, Flinny. I know that's everything's uh, going streaming. I mean, that will be in the next five years. You know, you're gonna have you're gonna have Amazon basically winning massive sports league contracts. They're gonna outbid everybody, and they're gonna have the rights. That's kind of depressing, I guess. Yeah, there you go. That's a cheerful note to leave it on. Watching sports my whole life. All right. So, so speaking of games that we're watching on television, do you guys watch any Champions League action this week? What do you got? Well, I did. I, I, of course, this will seem biased because of my allegiances. Oh, but I think I just, we had a Chelsea comment. No, no, but I just have to point out, I mean, you know how much I love Olivier Giroud and the fact yeah, that I've always yeah. thought he's underrated. You know, he comes out, he scores four goals against uh, Sevilla. You know, not, not, not against a bad team. He has a hat trick in the second half. He's, you know, we talked about it last week. Like, he, he, he's been asking to get transferred because he wants to play more so that he can qualify for the – France's national team for the Euros ain't happening and, now. And boy, is he making it! I mean, Chelsea—he's got a lot of leverage right now. That's all I can say is, yeah. if Chelsea wants to keep him, they better step up 
can make a pretty big, big bid because other other clubs will really want him in the transfer market. And he linked up with Pulisic quite a bit too, didn't he? They they seem to really gel. They were great. They were great when they were playing together last season before yeah. Pulisic got injured. They were a great combination. They reminded me of Giroud and Griezmann when they played for the France's national team. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I was just I I was really happy for him. And it's just going to be hard. I don't know if you're Frank Lampard, how can you not play Olivier Giroud? I just I don't understand how you can play somebody other than him. I mean, uh, Tammy Abraham just is not you know producing the way. So anyway, that that to me has been like the performance of the Champions League thus far. Sam, what are your thoughts, Champions League? Uh, the only game I checked out this week was the Dortmund-Lazio game, which finished mm-hmm. 1-1 yesterday. Um, I, again, I was pretty disappointed with Dortmund. They weren't playing with um, Aland, who's out for the rest of 2020. But I, I don't know. Just I, I felt like they were very passive. You know, They have all these fun, exciting, promising players, but they just don't feel like a – I don't know. It doesn't feel like they've sort of reached any form of potential yet that uh, – it, there's just something not happening there. Um, so that was a little disappointing. Um, fun to watch Lazio, though. Um, I was struck watching the Italian broadcast by a few things. Uh, the first one being how much more the play-by-play commentators talk mm-hmm. in the Italian broadcast. We've you know had a bunch of commentators on here, uh, English commentators, so we've gotten sort of their perspective on things. Um, and two, I, I don't know, this is a funny – it's just funny to hear how biased the announcers get for the Italian teams. And maybe yeah. – I, I think that's probably un-English too. But um, at the end of the game, it was 1-1. Uh, Dortmund had the potential to counterattack with a minute left. And uh, the announcers yelling at the Lazio players to foul, um, you know, to, to tactically foul, wow. which um, to me seems completely normal in, in keeping with the Italian approach to the game. But – um. I don't know, it did make me think, you know, because last week I was watching BT Sport and Rio Ferdinand's on there. I was remembering his tweet from Euro 2016 saying, you know, the Italians, you know, make fouls that the English wouldn't even think about, you know, and uh, take a yellow card to stop basically any kind of counterattack. So, I don't know, it was funny just to get that that different um, opinion. And I don't know, I wonder what your guys' take is on something I thought like that. Interesting with the announcers part because um, – you know, we've watched Italians. I don't know what they're saying. Obviously, the Spanish I know a little bit, but I think yeah. we've talked with broadcasters here, English broadcasters, about how less is more. Let the you know the action. You 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 pick your spots. We've talked about you know Taylor Twelman sometimes talking during the action, which annoys us, so mm-hmm. that that doesn't work. But what I think you're touching upon, Sam, is a really interesting uh, concept because it's what we've talked about on this show. Would really be a good show in and of itself about the cultural differences with with broadcasters mm-hmm. and how they're different and how, why we've jumped into the English one here. And we really haven't formed our own sort of cultural, uh, we haven't put our cultural sort of fingerprint on how we would do it in our sport. You know, yeah. I remember uh, Adrian Healy a couple of weeks ago saying how, you know, at the beginning they just sort of grabbed hockey announcers because that mm-hmm. was similar um, and mm-hmm. hockey, you know, the best ones try to be really right on it. You know, who has the puck, what's going on. So Talk I feel like, that. yeah, I feel like we're probably, you know, we should probably end up somewhere in that middle ground, you know, between right. almost silent and then, you know, going over the top. But one interesting thing is in England, um, you know, and, and now, uh, sorry, managers have talked about this. I think Klopp mentioned this coming from Germany. He was surprised at how quiet the stadium was in England versus how he saw it on TV, because in England, what they do is turn mics towards the fans Mm-hmm. to add them into the broadcast where in other countries like Germany and England, uh, Italy, they turn the mics toward the field. So you hear the action. So in those wow. cases, the announcers have to 
you know, talk a little bit more to, to, to build that atmosphere because it's not sort of there for them. Oh, very interesting. All right. So um, a couple other things. Real Madrid, they lose again to Shakhtar 2-0. They're in danger of not qualifying for a round of 16. Yeah, that would be a huge story. Trouble there, yeah. Given, given the, the magnitude of that club and the fact that they've won – I could be wrong. Have they won nine Champions Leagues? Or am I, they won, didn't they win four out of five maybe? I, I, somebody's somebody. One of our listeners is going to be appalled at my lack of. No, I, I know that Real Madrid over the last five six years has just dominated right. Champions League, and the expectation is, of course, they're going to go through to the round of sixteen. So yeah, they're 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 teetering. Well, here's the thing: Sam's going to be happy that maybe one of the lower tier teams gets through, and Grail, you're going to be unhappy because the- I love the big boys. You know me; I like the big guns to get through. Uh, Jesse Marsh is Salzburg. Yeah, well, well, speaking of that, um, they beat Lokomotiv Moscow uh, this past week, 3-1, which means if they beat Atletico Madrid at home next Wednesday, they would qualify for the round of 16. Atletico has been playing pretty well, despite losing to Bayern this week. Um, but I'm actually torn on this, and I want to get your guys' take, because yep. should uh, Salzburg finish third, they would go into the Europa League, uh, mm-hmm. which to me is a competition they could legitimately win. Um, whereas in Champions League, I think, I mean, maybe they'd get through to the quarterfinals. That would be sort of the the best they could do. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, mean, a, I mean, the idea of an American coach winning a major European trophy, I think is maybe cooler than just a Champions League run. But what do you guys think? Yeah, well, I think looking at it from that perspective, I mean, for the club, Obviously, it's Champions League and nothing else. Oh, I mean, right? financially, prestige, yes. it's all yeah. Champions League. Yeah. But. Um, I, I just don't know how much recognition he would get for winning Europa League. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what. I think that it would, no, I think it would be a. It'd be a heck of a feather in his cap, but I, think, on the I agree with yeah. I agree with Grail. I think you know, given your druthers, it's uh, it's Champions League all the way, um, just because you want to be with the best. It's almost like the NITs and the NCAA's in basketball, you know. Well, and you get so much more exposure too. That's the thing. Even if you don't go as deep in the tournament, I just feel like all eyes are on Champions League, and unfortunately, in Europa League, it's kind of the stepchild. Mm. That's a heck of a game to watch, though. I'll be watching that one next week. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, Sam, a little Serie stuff. Ibrahimovic, man, he's doing it? Is yeah. It, and how old is he? Yeah. So Ibra is 39, will be 40 by the time this season ends, uh, as long as it does end. Um, and, I, yeah, I don't think he's getting nearly enough attention um, for what he's doing, especially in Italy where Ronaldo just kind of dominates all the headlines and yeah. just scored his 750th goal or whatever it is. But um, – <laughs> Anyway, to me, to me, the biggest difference is what he's done to the team. Um, so he scored 10 goals in half the season last year. He already has 10 in just six Serie A games this season, which is crazy, and he leads the league. But more importantly, Milan have become just an entirely different team with him on the field. Um, they're now five points ahead in first place in Serie A and are the favorites for the title. Um, and they were just a mess before he came. And mm-hmm. he really just gave them like a reference point up front. Everything goes through him when he's on the field. It's really something to watch. Got to um, give props to uh, Ivan Gazidis, yep. our friend, the CEO of AC Milan, who a lot of people scoffed at when he signed. I mean, I have, I have to be honest. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be a great move. I thought it was, yeah. a, you know, it's not I, a little bit of a PR stunt. But um, 
I mean, the big thing is you, you look at Ronaldo and what he's done at Juventus, and Juventus are a worse team today than they are when he arrived, in my opinion. Yeah. And Milan have just, you know, skyrocketed. And, and Ibra has succeeded at every single place. He scored mm-hmm. at United. He scored mm-hmm. in L.A. He scored with Milan. He's, honestly, every team he's played for, he's delivered. Right. Yeah. He's a stud, and uh, he makes good And he's, in, he's in phenomenal shape. He is in, he is so fit. That guy, can he can play till he's like 43, 44 years old. Yeah, he probably will. Yeah. Again, yeah. I mean, this is soccer, too. This isn't like uh, Tom Brady, you know, where, I mean, yeah. it's arduous, but you're, you're putting on some miles on your feet and your legs, and, um, you know, you're doing it all. You're not in a pocket or anything. So I, mean, I love him, too. I, we, we, I think we've always loved him on OTB, right, just because of the uh, – the, the passion and, and theatrics he brings to the game. I just, I just think he's so entertaining. Yeah. All right. So, guys, we don't have much time, but do you want to touch upon EPL? Any quick thoughts on it? Sam, yeah. you probably don't have any, but... Uh, well, no, yeah, I'm, I'm just... just, just aren't a, Chelsea. Well, well, no, just a very quick thing. I thought Man City looked like Man City against Burnley, and they just they won 5-0, and they could have won 10-0. Yeah. And then again because this this whole season is so odd they go out and they draw nil all against porto and champions league and it's just like a tale of two games i just feel like there have been so many instances this season of teams really performing amazingly well you know on a wednesday or whatever tuesday and then on a sunday it's they don't even resemble the same team and it's just that i think it's going to make it very interesting across all the leagues though because i don't think there is anybody that's a clear runner in any of yeah. the league. Well, that makes it more exciting, I yeah. think. You know, and watching Liverpool, uh, Jota has been a great sign for them. Jota. Jota. But, you know, what's even more interesting is when they don't have their outside backs, how the whole flow of play changes for Liverpool. Uh, you know, I guess we were talking um, off air about some of the, the top players in the world. They were, there was, they were listed. And um, top right outside back and left outside back. Yeah. Both Liverpool players, you know, Arnold and Robertson, Arnold Robertson, and then Van Dyke in the middle, number one yeah. in each category. Yeah. And so all three of them are, were gone. And when they were, you just saw what we always took for granted, that width of play, the way they would move forward, all that stuff uh, kind of went out the door. And basically. Allison rated as the number two goalie in the world behind Neuer. Right. So you've got, I mean, you know, you know, the, the, the back four plus the keeper is just when they're fitter, impenetrable. Right. So, so, uh, so it's interesting, you know, but I think for the premier league, it's making it a little more interesting to sort of watch Definitely. a battle, you know, it's close. So yeah. the U S men's national team really quickly here. Um, the, uh, 12 uncapped players are called up by Berhalter. That's a, it's a lot of uncapped players in the last two months, right? Being called up for the December 9th friendly against El Salvador. And one is Efren Alvarez who starred for Mexico at the, uh, 2019 under 17 world cup. Place for the LA Galaxy. We got to make sure we ask Dominic Kinnear, our, our uh, guest today, if uh, what his thoughts on that. But will he play for the U.S. or Mexico long term? Who knows? Let's yeah, I don't know. Like, Isn't it like a Sergio Dest situation, right? Wasn't right. Well, he, I think wasn't know, he kind play, of in the same boat? Yeah, well, Dest could play for three different countries. I yeah. Think. Um, uh, I think Dest really took a shine to a lot of the guys that are his age and these up and coming guys like Pulisic. Sure. And, you know, the other one. So that's something to watch out for. Um, so the U.S. Men's National Team camp is announced for December 9th, friendly with uh, El Salvador in Fort Lauderdale. So it'll be fun to watch that. Uh, there was a U.S. Uh, Women's National Team game. They beat ne- the Netherlands uh, in 2-0 in their first match in 261 days. Um, 
And uh, they also, Grail, this is right up your alley. They settled the lawsuit. Talk about that. Well, 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 let's, let's get come back a little bit there. They reached an agreement on an element of it, which is what I think the three of us and Professor Bank from UCLA, who's our go-to guy in legal matters, um, said what, what, it was really about non-compensation claims. So it was charter flights, hotel accommodations, all that per diem stuff, right? Where it made no sense that the men were getting one thing and the women were getting something right. else, even fields. Like, why couldn't they play on grass? Why were they forced to play on field turf sometimes? So anyway, all of that seems to have been solved. But the $67 million you know, lawsuit essentially that the, the U.S. Women's National Team has against U.S. soccer, is that is that's still the big nut. It'll be interesting to see if they can come to a compromise. You know, maybe they meet at like 25. They're, they're not going to get close to $67 million. Yeah, good luck on that. And now it's now yeah. we're moving away from the World Cup. So, um, yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, speaking of women's national team, I'm, I'm just assuming Megan Rapinoe is not going to play again. I mean, is that what you take is that she's just decided to kind of move on to her other career? Well, I think, you know, you're seeing a parallel happen between the, you know, in the U.S. men's national team, when you used to have Harksy and Miola and Tab Ramos and Claudia Arena, they were all on the team for years and years, like two, three cycles. Yeah. And the women were doing that as well. And now they're, you know, women are getting married, they're having the babies, they're, they're doing, you know, their life is, is creeping up on them. They're getting older, certainly the old stars, the older stars. And you wonder now there's so many new young uh, women players at that level that are coming up that they're feeling the pressure. I think we're, we're, yeah. we're watching a lot of parallels happen here. Yeah. And I, and I, and I do think with the men's national team, I think it's, it's oddly COVID has made, has forced Burhalter, I mean, t- to wait for some of these good young players to come. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of like just, it was good fortune for him actually that there was that delay because people like, um, you know, um, Dest and stuff emerged during right. that period of time. And he might have already pre-selected his guys and those guys might not have gotten a look. Well, this is a uh, something that's been nice for the United States because I used to watch Sam, you know, the Italian league and to see all these great players and who actually was not only they had to be in form currently, not on reputation, didn't make the national team, the, the yeah. Italian national team. They had to be in form, not only that, but they had to fit in with, whatever coach was trying to, you know, what style they wanted to play, where they were needed. So some of the, you know, these great players weren't, were never taken. And I think with us, the U S team, you got a lot of players now that have aged out and um, you know, COVID has sort of helped that along, which is unfortunate because usually these new players sort of bleed into the, to the program and you see them one or two at a time. Now we're getting, you know, seven guys, you got to kind of familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with. So it's uh, been really interesting. Um, we got to go. I want to uh, take a break and get to Dominic Kinnear. But I wanted to ask you one more question, uh, Sam, to go back to Syria. Ah, what is up with, uh, with Ericsson and his situation at Inter? He just looks like a shell of, a, of the player he was. Yeah, it's been really tough for him. Uh, and he, his signing was a really big deal. Um, Antonio Conte, the Inter coach, really wanted him. Um, yeah. And he is, you know, when he has a transfer target in mind, he is really outspoken about it and makes a big deal. So... Yeah, I don't quite understand why it hasn't worked. I mean, he's not been given a ton of minutes. Um, the yeah. Conte is, to me, an infuriating manager. I don't like him very much. Grail, you can attest to this, I'm sure, at <laughs> Chelsea, because he plays one way, right? He plays a 3-5-2, and that's it. And, you know, wherever he goes, he demands the players to make his system work. He doesn't, you know 
come see what he has and then sort of adapt. And I mean, he has this ego, you know, Italy at the, uh, at the Euro in 2016, where they did pretty well, you know, all the talk in the summer was there's no number 10, there's no number 10, you know, how are they going to be good? Conte said, you know, I'm the number 10. So, I mean, he <laughs> loves to have his stamp on everything. Um, and it's, you know, it hasn't, I mean, Inter are doing okay. They're, they're probably not going to get through their group in Champions League. But, um, you know, some of his decisions have been questionable, including Vidal, who hasn't been that good. But, I mean, in terms of Ericsson, I think he needs to leave, and I think he may leave um, this winter. I think watching him, it's interesting to me because I feel like he still thinks he's playing in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and you'll see him do things very quickly and very well, like receive a pass, maybe turn with a guy on his back where I think he struggles is where he has more time to do stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is more of the Italian setup. That's more of the Serie A setup, especially against a team like Inter, who are going to be, you know, possessing the ball the majority of the game. Um, It's not as much about doing things quickly. It's more about I, I don't know. It's it's more tactical. It's more about positioning, and it's more about your decisions that you make when you have time with the ball. So he just he just seemed very small when I was watching him play. Like he just he looked thin. He looked pale. He looked unhappy. He's was he's losing like he his was, hair. Yeah, you see, dominant during those Spurs yeah. years, though. But you he was wa- you, so good. You watch him, and it, it's it's curious because you'll see him take such a good first touch, maybe beat a guy with his touch in a really tight space, and then all of a sudden, you know, he tries to play a through ball, and it gets intercepted. Um, so he just doesn't seem like he's quite figured it out yet. He also doesn't speak Italian, and I know Lukaku is uh, trying to encourage him to. That seems Italian to be one of the keys. Face. When you go somewhere, learn the language. It's uh, it's amazing. I think of that Jesse Marsh halftime speech where he's talking in sort of broken German, you know. Yeah. But I think the players appreciate it. You're giving it an effort, you know. Exactly. Yeah, and and Conte is he had a great press conference this past week where he was criticizing another player, Hakimi, for you know not being tactically aware enough. And uh, you know he was talking about how abroad in England and Germany there's more enjoy. He just said there's more enjoy around yeah. uh, surrounding soccer, and it's not the case in Italy apparently so wow and he's italian thank god you can say it if you're italian so all right guys let's take a break here we come back we talk to uh the interim head coach of the la galaxy um real legend in in the mls game mr dominic kinnear you're listening to over the ball over the ball is brought to you by soccer america go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he is one of the winningest coaches in MLS history. He's won uh, two MLS Cups with Houston. It took him to the finals two other times. A really incredible feat. Um, coach now, uh, he's basically known for practicing uh, tactical discipline with the results that certainly speak for themselves. Not only that, but he was a hell of a player in his day. Might not look like it anymore. I'm not sure if he's still playing. 54 caps with the U.S. men's national team. I actually got to knock it around with him a few times back in the day in Mission Viejo. Uh, and Dom and I have talked about this before, but I'm going to bring it up again because I just I love the chutzpah on this kid. 
uh, actually convinced him to get up on stage and try stand-up comedy uh, for the first time in front of all the other national team players, which takes, I think, more guts than going into a 50-50 ball with uh, Roy Keane in his heyday. Uh, he was really – he's a huge part of MLS history as a player and, of course, as a coach. This past season, he took over as head coach, uh, interim head coach of the LA Galaxy. Welcome back to Over the Ball, Dominic Kinnear. Dominic, how are you? I'm doing good, Kevin. Thanks for having me on, as always. Great seeing you. All right, that's all the time we have today. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Dom, like, you know, just – you know, I've known you for so long. Uh, don't get to talk to you enough. But, boy, just looking at your your record and your career, man, it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, you are, you have no job right now, right? So you're, you're in the hunt for new, for a new gig. And with your, your CV, man, I, I can't see that you'd be sitting down long. Well, I'm not unemployed, Kevin. So, uh, just to kind of correct that, I'm still, uh, under contract as an assistant coach for LA Galaxy. All right. So, awesome. Yeah, once the interim tag went away, the assistant coach uh, tag came back to me. Okay, back. All right. Because I, I got confused because I'm unemployed. So <laughs> during the COVID crisis. So, so, um, are you uh, in active negotiations to take over somewhere as head coach? Or, but you, well, I guess you have a gig, so maybe you can't talk about that. Yeah, can't really talk about it right now. I mean, I uh, did have some meetings with the Galaxy. Um, my name has been out there on the internet a couple of times. Well, actually, one person said I was off for the job, and I got a bunch of texts from people I haven't heard from in a while saying congratulations. <laughs> and Looking I, for I a gig. Yeah, I, wo- I woke up to it. I had no idea what was going on, so finally I went online and took a look at it. Some guy called Will Forbes was on Twitter saying that I've been offered a contract and it's my job to turn down, which was completely untrue. So, uh, but my name is out there uh, in the running for the, uh, for the galaxy head job and we'll kind of see where it goes. All right, cool. So, you know, we've had a lot of coaches on uh, this, this past year talking about, you know, uh, actually high school coaches, college coaches talking about uh, trying to coach during, you know, during a COVID crisis. Uh, there's so many things you have to worry about anyway, in a normal season. What, what has that been like for you? you know, cause you were the assistant coach and then the interim, interim head coach. What was it like coaching this year as a professional uh, and, pro- you know, coaching professional players who are not as easily sort of wrangled as a college kid, perhaps what, what's that been like for you? It was interesting. It was kind of, it was a little bit uh, interesting, but uninteresting at the same time. I mean, we went from a six week layoff and then we came back into LA where we could only do individual training. It was almost like a step-by-step, which a lot of the youth clubs are experiencing at the moment as well. So we went from, going individual to then small groups and then into say uh, 10 on 10, you know, big, big groups and, and contact. So we had players that couldn't be, they could be on the field at the same time, but they couldn't have contact with anybody. Uh, then it became to be get small sided games and, and, and so forth. Then it graduated into the bubble in Orlando, which I thought was really well run. Whoever, yeah. I think it was uh, Jay Berhalter and I can't remember the other guy's name set this up. And I thought for me, it was a fantastic tournament. Obviously, we didn't stay there as long as we had hoped for. It was uh, as far as results went. We went back, went on the first teams to leave. But as far as the setup goes, um, and the hotel, and the testing, and the accommodations, and I think transportation, everything was really taken care of. Really, I thought it was excellent. And then we go back from that, and it's a little bit, and kind of give you a, a brief rundown. We go back from there, and then we're kind of waiting around again to see what the next steps were, because obviously some cities in the United States and some restrictions and protocols were more strict than it right. was in others. So then it kind of gets to the point where the Canadian teams came down, as we all know, they kind of uh, set up shop in, in the U.S. And then it became you can only play in your conference. I think the, the hours per uh, – you can only travel three hours at the most on a game day. They kind of consider that your competitive uh, litmus, litmus test, I guess, would be the bar. Yeah. Um, so then it became kind of going into to markets. Um, the only time you could spend the night is if you had an afternoon game the following day. 
So it was uh, – the players handled it pretty well. I thought the games were pretty good. It's, it's unfortunate we had no fans because we all, we all know how important they are, not only to the, the product on, the, on TV, but also with the, the, the game experience. Um, and then unfortunate for us, you know, you know with, uh, with Guillermo being replaced by me in the, in the interim, it just kind of – you know, it's one of those – a lot of people said 2020 goodbye, and I, I'm kind of one of those guys as well. It's just been – it's been terrible, obviously – for sports and sports is a small thing compared to what's going on around the world, but we're involved in it. We know what's going on there. And it's just been such an odd, strange year, uh, but I'll give credit to the MLS teams. I'm talking a little bit too much here, but I think the playoffs have been interesting. They've been good. And hopefully the, uh, the, the good games continue. Yeah. I say 2020 was a bad year, but it still wasn't as bad as my first marriage. So it's, oh. uh, it's moving along. <laughs> hey, but you know, I got to tell you this though. Um, MLS, I think really, especially in hindsight now, did a really good job. And they were first out of the gate. And we've talked about this on the show uh, quite a bit. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. The NBA and NFL are all, all had their own struggles. Uh, and people were talking about like, like MLS didn't even happen. Like NBA was rolling it out for the first time. But I think a lot of people took a lot of pointers from what MLS did and uh, a lot of things that, that they did right. So, uh, so that's uh, that was, you know, so a, a good season for overall um, the travel, no fans and long car rides, long bus rides. That's uh, sounds like my professional career, mm-hmm. especially the no fans part, but how does that affect the game? I mean, the players, cause you know, in the beginning, Dominic, when I was watching the premier league and a few things, I kind of enjoyed listening to the players, you know, calling square, help, back, you know, uh, through ball, you know, they're all yelling at each other. You can hear it. After a while, it gets a little boring. I feel like it's just a huge training session. Yeah. Uh, how about coaching and, and your players? Missing the fans, was it, was it tough? 100%. And I think the, the pressure's a little bit different, not only for the home team, the away team, but also the referees and how they react to certain situations. I think you saw that last couple of home games for Orlando in the playoffs. Even though it's, it's, it's a small capacity, what they're giving, but the, the intense pressure that they're putting on the referee to kind of make calls go their way, you, you do miss that, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I thought even uh, when I'm watching the Premier League and the Germans when they first started playing, it's almost like you're watching a preseason tournament. Yeah. Um, and, and you do, you, you, and I appreciate what you said. You said, oh, you can hear the players talk and you can hear the coaches, what they're saying. But then you, you, you miss the fans. It's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's the heart and the blood of any sports uh, arena. You know, and we have some great places, especially here on the West with the, the L.A. Derby for me is an incredible game. We played them, I think, three times and do that without fans. It's just, it's just a bit of a shame, you know. So, right. um, but yeah, then you kind of get into it, you know, it becomes like the new normal, as they say. But uh, you, you sure do want the old normal to come back quick. Yeah, so you've got the Scottish background, too. And um, so you call it a Derby. I was wondering here, are we going to start calling it the Kentucky Derby? Here in the United States, it's spelled the same way. <laughs> Derby, Derby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, and my team plays today. Celtic are playing AC Milan this morning, I think, at about 11 o'clock. And, God, we need to win better than more than anybody right now. All right. So, good. Grail, what do you got? Yeah. So, speaking of that, Dominic, um, I know you moved here when you were all of three years old. But I'm just curious. You know, I, I think of the Scots as being such a proud uh, people and, and and how important your heritage is to you. And if the U.S. was to play Scotland in, in a match, where your allegiances would be? Ah, that's, that's a good one. But if, you know, funny enough, uh, in my playing days, I was lucky enough to play for the U.S. against Scotland. Okay. And that day, uh, Bora Milutinovic was the coach back then, and he would. It was always pretty good about if a, if we played, say, Uruguay, Fernando Clavijo got to be captain of the day or if we played Ireland or, or, or so forth, we played Germany, Thomas Dooley was the captain for that day. So we played oh, Scotland. Nice. He, 
he came up to me before the game and he said, I want you to be the captain for the game today against uh, Scotland, you know? So it's, for oh me, it's, 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 the, it's the one, uh, it's my best memory as a player. We lost that day, which is the worst thing about it, but it still was one. My parents flew out. It was in Denver, mm-hmm. uh, Colorado. The opposing captain for Scotland that day was a player by the name of Paul McStay, who was my favorite player uh, for Celtic. And so we met in the captain's room before the game. I had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of starstruck, which I don't normally get, but he was the one guy that I really looked up to as far as Scottish players go. So um, that for me was, was, a, was you know, it's one of those days you just can't, you, you can't mm-hmm. forget. Uh, if, but if it was today, USA versus Scotland, I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm more American now than I am Scottish. If Scotland's playing anybody else, especially England, mm-hmm. I'm going for Scotland. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I think if it was, uh, if it was USA, Scotland, it was a competitive match. I'm, I'm going to pull the States. That's right. You know, Dan Thomas on ESPN FC said to Stevie uh, Nichol, he's like, you know, why would you not root for England? And Stevie Nichols was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like unbelievable. That Scottish yeah. accent too. And those when Craig Burley and, and uh, Nichol would talk to each other, I, I couldn't understand them. If they would talk to me, I could understand them. But when they talk to each other, yeah. So Burley it's... one time, Nichol was going off on some Scottish rant, you know, <laughs> to Craig, I go, Craig, what did he say? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Stevie's, Stevie's one of the guys, his accent's incredible. And, and to, to think back when England played uh, the U.S. in the World Cup, a couple of World Cups back, at one point, the U.S. jersey was the highest-selling uh, jersey in, in, the, in this, uh, this country of Scotland. So it just shows you <laughs> the, the divide there. And, and, and I know we talked we talk about Maradona in, in the pregame. And, and uh, my, I had, when he passed away, my cousin text, we're in a little bit of a text chat. And he said, yeah, legend, what he did to England still goes down as one of the best goals in the <laughs> World Cup in Scottish history, even though he didn't play for Scotland. <laughs> well, well, I'm Irish, so I'm not far behind you there. Oh, it's very true. So let's talk about Maradona a little bit because, uh, you know, I am older than you are, but um, he had to be influential in, in your playing days. I mean, growing up watching that, I mean, I think about it now, the age he was at the time he was doing some of that stuff, pressure on him. But what is as just a pure player he was? Um, what are your thoughts on, on? Yeah, I mean, we were lucky. We grew up in a pretty great age, you know, those yeah. 80s and early 90s, just some of the players and. Maradona obviously is at the top of the list. My favorite player at the time was Michel Platini, the French captain, yeah. who I thought was a wonderful player, you know. But I look at some guys along the ways, and there's generational players. I think they could play in any generation, and he definitely fits that bill. He could play now without without question the way he was. I mean, just not only his goals, but his overall play. And I, I read an article actually on the ESPN uh, website that talked about his one year in Seville. It's a really interesting read. And it talked about how uh, he did have his problems, his demons off the field, but the players loved him. And the one thing that stood out for me was he was he never blamed anybody on the field, even if he, even if the player made a bad mistake, he would say, "Oh, don't worry about it. that was my fault." So just think of the guy who's you know arguably the best player ever to step on the field, and to show the the humility that he did in one year in Seville. Just I mean, just shows you the, the character of the guy on the field was incredible. You know, we were talking about this last week on the show as well about how physical the game was, especially with the creative yeah. players like that back then. You know, it comes to my Pele, what they did to him, Bestie, what they did to Bestie. Um, you know, and then Maradona as well. The hits that these guys were taking was uh, just unbelievable. Even on that goal of the of the century that he scored, I mean, guys are diving in. On yeah, him. they're trying to hit him and they're missing him. You know, uh, so so it was pretty incredible. And I was talking about, you know, you see some of these guys here. I I was going to college. I think I was a freshman or sophomore, but um, the World Cup was going on. Lineker was lighting it up. Yeah, and then I realized Lineker was a, a year older than me. You know, and here you are playing in college, and 
just, just lighten it up, you know, uh, and he's the same age. So um, I got to meet him. And, and what, a, what a great, ex- I wanted to go back to that moment with your parents, man. That's the, that is a moment for a lifetime to be the captain of, of the U.S. men's national team in Scotland playing them uh, with the, I mean, that's just, that gave me chills. Didn't yeah. it, guys? Nothing there. That's yeah. just amazing. I mean, it was, it was, it was the, 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 funny, the funny part of it was the day before, Scotland had an open training session. And so a lot of people from the Bay Area uh, came out to the game. So my, pretty much my whole family was there. So my father, uh, they got to meet some of the players before the game. Um, and obviously, they were, you know, my family being Celtic supporters, all you know, kind of crowded around the, uh, the Celtic players that were there. And so this is, this is incredible. So we're walking out into the field, and, and my, the, the referees and myself and Paul McStay are walking out to the field. And he's walking next to me. And he says, so I, hear, I understand you're Scottish. And I looked over to him. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, born in Glasgow came here when I was real young and he goes yeah he goes I met your father yesterday and the first thing I did I, I almost like took a step back and I was like oh I, I go I apologize and he kind of started laughing he said no don't worry about it he's, he's a good guy and actually for that game I got my dad a press pass so he could be on the field oh, so fun, fun, yeah well, kind of fantastic but funny enough he, he bought himself a camera so he almost tried to look like a press person <laughs> so this is and this is I don't really talk about this too much it's kind of funny so here we are uh doing the coin flip because back then you did coin flips or standing right. referee. And my dad is yelling at myself and Paul McStay is going, Dom, Paul, get together. So we get a picture. And I was like, please, dad, no. don't do it. And the worst thing of all was his camera was out of focus and none of the pictures turned out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a total dad story. Yeah, that's so funny. You know, and this is where, you know, I know you're a dad, so we live our lives trying not to have dad stories, but we just do it. It just uh, can't happen. My daughter just doesn't think anything I do or say is funny, and I'm always screwing up. I'm always calling someone the wrong gender or the wrong whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, it's tough. I mean, yeah. pretty amazing awareness by Bora, too, by the way, to, to think that through in terms of making you the captain. Because a lot of, a lot of man- managers, coaches wouldn't even think of that. Yeah, he was good. I mean, as far as that stuff and – you know, each, each coach has their quirks and their pluses and their minuses. But I, I, I always think back and, you, you know, you get a, like I said, Thomas Dooley against Germany, Tony Miola against Italy. You know, Fernando Calillo was the first one. It was one of Bora's first games against Uruguay. I think Marcelo was the captain. Marcelo Bobo was captain against Argentina. So it wasn't an isolated incident. It was really fought out. And I know for a fact, no one forgets that, you know. So I, and right. maybe at the time you don't really think, oh, it's a cool day. But I think later on, you know, obviously 25, 30 years down the line, you're thinking, man, that was really special. And you, you're pretty thankful for that. You know, you talk about you've had a long and storied career. There's the ups and downs as a player, um, you know, that you have. And now you're a coach and you watch these players and you try to motivate them and cajole. And, and you know, because I, I was at, in 94 when I was covering the team, you know, you and I started to hang out a little bit. But you and, and Jeff Agus were the last two cut from the team. Uh, that year and it was devastating wasn't it I mean wasn't it, it was just devastating wasn't it and but you had to come back and you came back to get you know the the caps later and and have a, an amazing career talk about that a little bit because Goose talks about it too he's like he's like I didn't actually burn my shoes you know he there was all kinds of stories yeah about it's uh I think it was June 1st or June 2nd so I know it was, it was right around my mom's birthday because I remember I called her on the phone and said I'm coming I'll be home for your birthday and she nice. bust out crying you know so I was like I don't whatever i'll bring you a jersey or something like that i'll bring you jeff agus's jersey he hasn't burned it yet so i'll make sure to get it for you but i do remember that it was uh i felt it was a, a day where the next day they were announcing the team uh to the press i think it was down downtown pasadena or something it was in the rose bowl actually yeah there you go so um 
we had a girl in the office. Her name was Melissa Pilgrim, sweet little girl that was like kind of like the secretary. And she was told to either to call the players. And they were told to either meet at the Holiday Inn wearing this shirt and this pair of pants or come to the training center oh. uh, to meet to meet with yeah, to be at more to meet with more like five o'clock. So here's and this is another one. So Chris Henderson also was one of the last guys cut as well. He lived in the same apartment with Mike Lapper. So Mike Lapper got a phone call because there's no cell phones back then either. There's no sure. texting, email, you know, this is kind of old, how old the story is. So Mike Lapper gets a phone call saying, okay, meet at the Holiday Inn at 930 or whatever time. And Chris Henderson gets a phone call a couple minutes later, says, can you meet uh, Bora at the training center at like five or five thirty? <laughs> so <laughs> well, you want to hear as a player. <laughs> so yeah, the, 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 and, and you get there and you pull up to the, you pull up to the training center, you go up to kind of the little half hill they have there. And I pull in the parking lot and there's like two cars. And as soon as I pulled up, I was like, oh man, this is not good. Okay. And so I walked in and Bora was in his office and he just said, look, he goes, I have uh, 22 players. I don't have you as, as, a, as one of those 22. I said, okay. And I, I got up and he said, oh, let me explain. I said, nah, there's no need for explanations. I think we all know the story here. I just said, good luck and walked out. And that was it. Wow. I mean, you know, you just tear jerker. You no, know, I mean, <laughs> you handled that pretty well. <laughs> no, and I tell you, it was such a special time though in '94 because it was, you know, I, I just know from my personal experience, I got to know a lot of the guys. It was a, right. it was a great group of people. Uh, we were, you're all like uh, prophets, like going out and just Pied Pipers, just kind of getting people used to the World Cup and what this was and the national team. And you all gathered together and you all had this common cause and you had the guys overseas and the guys here. And it was like, it was like a family. And so it was really, really difficult. And I know, you know, that the guys were so close that, uh, you know, a lot of guys were like really, really bummed that, that a couple of their friends, you know, didn't make it. It's tough to watch, especially when you're, when you're the top players in the country and, and uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta face that. So, um, but I mean, from that, you know, talk about what you did when you left at that point as a player. Yeah, this I mean, is it's, where, this is where I think people really need to hear, like, what happens next when you go? Yeah, to- then I became kind of a vagabond in a way, you know. So after the World Cup was over, I went to England and I uh, went on travel Bolton Wanderers uh, for about two weeks to a month. Uh, didn't really catch on there. Then uh, I went and played for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers for about two to three months to end the, uh, the I that- think it was the eight. The APSL. Thomas Ronkin was the was the oh, coach, was and then got let go. No, it was, and then it became um, it became uh, Maurice uh, Romero was his last name, who actually was assistant coach at the Rapids. Funny enough, there uh, uh, the coach had a friend who was a big time agent in Mexico, so he played a game. The guy came up to me and says, "Hey, I want to take you to Mexico." I was like, "Okay, yeah, sounds great." You know, so the season was over. I'm home in, in Northern California, hanging out, and I get a phone call from the agent. He says, "Are you ready?" I said, ready for what? And he goes, I have a team for you. I said, okay. I said, when do you want me there? He goes, can you get here next week? I said, yeah, no problems. And he, and he goes, uh, I go, what team is it? Just out of curiosity. And I said, when he told me that, I kind of started following the Mexican first division. Yeah. He says, it's Nacaxa. And I go, okay. And I go now, and I knew their team and they were the best team in Mexico at the time. And I said, is this the team with Alex Aguinaga, Alberto Garcia Aspe, or is it another like a, a first of like a 1A team? Yeah. He says, no, it's, it's Nacaxa. And I was like, holy shit, let's, you know, I better get going. So I went down there. I was only there for about six months. They're, they had their two seasons, the winter and the summer season. Can you speak Spanish? And I speak a little bit, you know, and I got a little bit better with uh, hanging around with the, the Scaloto yeah. brothers and, and the staff at the Galaxy. Well, you so get the soccer like, terminology down, you know? Yeah, it's, that's a key. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like five verbs you can just kind of use yeah. over and over again. I think you're going to be okay. <laughs> but the funny thing was none of the players wanted to speak Spanish to me. They all wanted to learn English. 
Right. You know, so um, we we go there. We win the cup. We win the league. It was a crazy time. I played, like I said, I played probably like five out of the twenty five games. Uh, from there, came back. MLS had to start in. I was sitting around, not doing a whole heck of a lot. I got a call from the Seattle Sounders in the APSL. Say, could, we just had a player tore his knee up. Can you come and play for us? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So I went there uh, in 1995, the summer. Uh, played, had a great time. Loved that place. The, the fans and people yeah, yeah. in Seattle. It's a great place. Alan Hinton was the uh, the manager. At the oh time. Wow. wow! What yeah. a wonder, what a wonderful guy, you know. And then so, and then '96, uh, the Colorado, the Colorado. I mean, uh, MLS started. I went to the Colorado. So that period between '94 and '96, it was almost like a, in a blink of an eye, I went to like three different places. But just seemed to enjoy it, and, and, and found you know, luckily I found success in Mexico. It really wasn't my fault, but Seattle was. We won the APSL as well, so it was kind of fun. Well, that's the you know to be a soccer player back then, you had to be a sort of a gypsy, a vagabond, you know, kind of bopping around. You'd get your duffel yeah. bag and and just head off uh, as a gun for hire. So um, you know, I don't think players today understand that so much. Sometimes that there weren't a lot of opportunities. You had to go, you know, seek them out. You think if you're a great player, you just show up and it's going to happen. You know, people will give you offers, but you had to kind of go, no, I am good. Watch me. Yeah, Sam. <laughs> and, and even now in, in MLS, I think you see players stay with teams more. I mean, I think in MLS, I was traded three times in the first three years. So that's either a good sign or a bad sign. <laughs> I take it more of a bad sign. And I think, excuse me, I don't think you see that too much off, too much more of that now where guys are just bouncing around. You know, I think guys find right. homes and stay a little longer than they used to. Yeah, uh, Dominic, building off that, and I know it's been a long time, but um, after all these experiences, I know you played a year of college here too. I mean, do you have a sense of what route you would recommend a kid to take today um, to play, getting to play in MLS or elsewhere? Yeah, I think to get into MLS, the, the college route is still a viable route, but I think it's, it's slower. Um, and now when you used to be like a, a number one draft pick was almost like gold dust. You know, you could almost build your team uh, the following year around that. It's becoming less impactful. I think a lot of those guys kind of find their way at the back end of a roster. Some guys play. I mean, if you look at the kid DK from Orlando. He's having a wonderful year. You know, I don't think people really saw that, but uh, he's, he's done great. And Orlando has done great with their draft picks uh, in the years to kind of build their team around. Mm -hmm. So the, the academy really seems to be the way. Um, you know, we have two of, our, two of the three Galaxy players uh, in the national team camp right now are Galaxy Academy players with Julian Araujo and, and Efrain Alvarez. So it, it seems to be the more viable option. But I think also people do peak at different times in their careers. I've seen many kids come into the academy at 15, 16 years old. That is the next best thing. And it doesn't pan out. So sometimes the college route is, for me, it's, it's more helpful. It, it maybe helps the young mature a little bit quicker, become more responsible with their life. And then therefore when they're 21, 22, they're more well-rounded as a person. But some people just need that academy uh, to get themselves into an MLS program into the U if, and I think if when teams have USL teams attached them, that it makes the, the progress a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. So I, I kind of go back and forth on it. I think it's for each and every one, it's, it's a little bit different, but uh, I think the more productive way now uh, in the more, for me, the more the numerical advantage now is, is getting into the academy at a young age and sticking with it. Mm. Yeah. You're talking about developing players and, and um, it is a, it's in a bit of a crapshoot sometimes. Cause I remember, you know, I think the under 20s, most of the under 20 players don't make the full national team. They don't move up in that. Correct. So something happens between that transition where either, I don't know, you think you've made it and you don't train as hard or guys with chips on their shoulders kind of train harder. You know, you were talking about your, um, you know, your traveling there. I'm reading Satchel Paige's biography oh. and it's, it's, uh, it was the same thing. 
would show up all these places and just show up with his car and his duffel bag in the back and he'd just pitch, you know, uh, for hire. So um, I don't know. I think we, we've talked about a lot on this show about, you know, college soccer and how we need to make it, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're proponents of the split season. Um, and I know, you know, you used college to, you matured apparently in one year at Hartwick. That was your whole thing. Six months? Give me a ton of credit, you get six months, and if I go back, I'm, I'm on academic probation. Okay. <laughs> well, talk about that experience, because you and I have talked about it before, but, you know, this is a hard thing. You know, people are away from their families for the first time. These, you know, uh, if you're a good player, you're basically sometimes coddled by club, club teams and living at home, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, uh, you're in college and you're playing – you know, D1 ball at Hartwick, which is pretty intense, um, you know, uh, but it was different for you. Talk about that a little bit, the experience. Yeah, it was, I look back, it was pretty good. I, I'm, I'm still surprised I went there. We had a player who, uh, his family moved to Fremont, which is where I grew up, Fremont, California, who was a, a freshman at Hartwick, but his family moved out. So he spent the off season. He had a place to play. So he played for our club team. And we had a good club team at the time. We, John Doyle, who played in the World Cup and and MLS for a while, he, we grew up together, so he played in clubs. We had a real good club team at the time. And he alerted his coach to three players on our team uh, to take a look at. So they came out, and John Doyle was going to USF, University of San Francisco, so he'd already left. The other guy took the, the route of many where he didn't go past high school soccer and club soccer. He kind of found other things to do. And me, I was kind of like stuck, like, what, do I, what, what are my options here? So Hartwick came calling. I went out to visit uh, and watch the game, which was coaching the best. Then? It was, was it Jim Lennox? Lennox. It was yeah. Lennox. Great coach. Yeah. 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 It was Jim Lennox and uh, Jeff Tipping was the assistant yeah. coach at the time, you know, so we had, we had real good players. A couple guys went on to have some uh, indoor careers and are now coaches in uh, out in the colleges areas now. So when I went out there was the best recruiting tool for me because I was a soccer junkie was I went to see a game and Elmore field, which was the home field, that place on days was rocking, you know, yeah. and I was like, I, I didn't even think about being away from home on that trip. I was like, I want to go here and I want to play soccer here. And it was pretty, they offered me a full scholarship. Jim Lennox said to me, he goes, you're, we have one senior who's leaving the team. You're going to take his place. You're going to start every game next year. So it was one of those, I was completely blown away. Where were you playing then? I was, I played right midfield. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, they made the final four the year before I think they lost Indiana in the final four. Uh, so 1985 came around, they were returning 10 starters and I was the next guy to kind of come in. And I did, I started and played every game. I felt so, so lucky. The home games were incredible. Socially was not ready to leave home. Um, and once I got there, I was completely miserable. And just my intent was just to see out the season and, and head back to California as quick as I could. Um, should I have stuck it out? Yeah, I think I probably should have. But then again, I look back at my mom and I had conversations about this. She always goes, do you wish you would have stuck it out? And I always say, well, I came home, I, I married a, you know, a, a great person. I have three kids. Would that have happened if I would have stayed at Hartwick? Right. Who the heck knows, you know? But um, looking back, Jim Lennox, and I keep, and I keep in touch. I never see him. It's great to see him. Had a great time there. We had a great team. Unfortunately, we lost in the semifinals. Uh, Could have went on to play in the Kingdome, the game UCLA and American University played eight overtimes. Oh, I remember <laughs> that, the, yeah. In the final. And we, American University was a team that beat us. We had a great team, but then – my college experience, like I said, was, uh, was done at that moment. So you played for some great coaches. You got Lennox, uh, Alan Hinton, uh, Frankie Yallop you, you played for uh, and coached with. Um, how have these guys influenced you, your coaching philosophy and what you do, your approach? Yeah, yeah. And to go on, I, I was lucky enough to be around Bob Gansler for a little while when he was with the, at the very end of his U.S. national team. Bora had a style uh, working with guys like Ziggy. 
Um, you know, Love Dean, I don't, you guys know Dean Wurzberger. He was a coach of, uh, the, my first ever professional team, you know, Lori Calloway. So I've kind of seen it, seen it all. Um, as far as my coaching style goes, I will say Frank probably had the most influence and it was working with him as an assistant coach was really a bit of an eye opener for me. And, uh, it was my first job. I kind of went in not knowing really if I'm, if I was going to be any good at being a coach, people still question that. Um, <laughs> no, oh, no, and, they don't. <laughs> and, uh, just after about, after about two or three months, I, I looked at Frank, he goes, well, how's it going? I said, man, where were you when I was playing? Because your approach for me is it's incredible that you make the players feel comfortable, but you give them responsibility. Um, and, and all those things that a player really wants, you know, honesty, but with a touch of caring, you know, and I've tried to carry that with me as, as, as I coach here. And, and luckily for me, I think it's worked because whenever I see ex-players, very, very few uh, do I, you know, I have great relationships with, with a lot of the players. So there's a couple of guys along the way, which what's going to happen. But for the most part, I have great relationships with a lot of the ex-players that I've had. Great. And, and how's John Doyle doing, by the way? Where is he? Is John, he coaching locally still? John Doyle's doing great. He, um, the city I live in, it's, it's in Danville, California right now. And there's a soccer club here called Mustang Soccer Club. So he is the technical director. He's been running that thing for about maybe 10 to 15 years. And uh, it's a great club. So obviously it's had its struggles along with every other club, along with this, this uh, the COVID-19 crisis. Right. But yeah. um, it's a great club. He does a great job for him. All right, Grail? Yeah, um, Dom, you have, you've had such a uh, unique perspective on MLS as a player and as a coach. And I was just curious over the last 25 years, what, what do you think – um, and again, I, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but what do you think MLS has really gotten right in terms of the evolution of the league and, and just some things that you would, you think where they could uh, improve on? Yeah, I, I, I look back and the, the business plan, business structure of the league, I think has kept the league going to where we are today. Um, I think the owners, and, and I think still think to this day, you know, a majority of the credit goes to Philip Anschutz. You know, if it wasn't for him, I think at one time we had 10 teams in the league. He owned five of them, you know, and he's at that mo at that time, you know, what was the um, expansion fees were, you know, if there were any, it was almost like they were just wanting people to get involved. And he saved the league around that 2000, 2001 marker when we lost a couple teams in Tampa and Miami and Phil Anschutz kept it going. So, and I, but I also think the, the financial setup for this, uh, it makes a league still viable as it is today. Now you're looking at expansion fees of $400 million for, for that. So I still, I think if we went our own way with one, one owner doing his thing this way, another owner doing his thing this way, I think the league would have crumbled as other leagues have done in, in, the, in the past. So I do think that part, um, I think it's very good. Uh, everyone wants to talk about promotion relegation. Do I think MLS needs it? 100%, we need it. Uh, but on the, you go back to the financial side of it, I'm, I'm asking you, Grail, okay, I need you to give me $500 million. We're going to play in this league. But after one year, if your team's not good, <laughs> now you got to go play in Dayton, Ohio on a Thursday night at a high school soccer field. I think the, to kind of sell that to somebody is, is not the best pitch. You know? So I do understand from a competitive standpoint for pressure, for the development of players, understanding success and failure, that promotion relegation is needed. But we're not there yet. And I don't think the, the U.S. soccer builds up from USL to MLS the – that we, we, can't, we can't afford to do that right now to lose out in some great owners. But I think that when you look at the evolution, training facilities, stadiums, um, you know, I don't know what the TV deal is as far as profitability, but I think just exposure to everybody from not just Saturday to Saturday, but Saturday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's games going on all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I think like with the academy, the infusion of young players, I think you see the national team now, I think is in a very good spot to, 
make some great strides forward. Maybe we weren't in the last, say, three or four years. Um, and I think MLS had a, a ton of, a ton of uh, credit for doing that. Um, the only thing that I will say has, has stayed the same, except for now during the corona, has been travel. You know, everything has gotten better except for our travel. You know, we're still flying commercial. Um, there are sometimes you get uh, your charter flights. So I think the players would complain about that more than anybody as do the coaches and setups. But I look at where it was from the beginning. I've been lucky uh, to be here from year one, but it really kind of opened my eyes in 2000, 2001. And I think when, when you see the growth of the league in these 20 years, it's been such at a rapid pace. It's pretty much everything for me has been, has been more than positive. So, you know, your experience and your knowledge, I think uh, you'd make a hell of a front office person as well. So I don't know if that's ever in your uh, future, if you'd want that, because coaches love to coach, man. Banker, banker's yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, Sam, do you have a question for, for Greg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, building on that response a little bit. It's just, it's just really fun to hear you talk about how much you enjoy watching and following soccer. You know, you mentioned Celtic being your team and these other leagues and games that you watch. I mean, is that normal for coaches? I mean, I think some people might want to get home at the end of the day and just not think about soccer anymore, but you seem to want to take it all in. Well, I've been an assistant coach now for the last three years, so it does take away a little bit of the stress. <laughs> um, but no, I think ever since I was young, and this goes back to the first question you guys asked about my Scottish heritage, you know, like my first real experience of watching soccer on TV was, it was a family vacation. We went back to Scotland. It was the 1978 World Cup in Argentina and Scotland was, and Scotland was supposed to win the world cup as far as we understood, you know, they had this, they had this coach's name was Ali McLeod and the, mm -hmm. and the team's name was Ali's army. And they were going to go down to Argentina and conquer the world. Now, obviously we know the story. They, they kind of fell on their, fell on their face a little bit, had a great last game. Archie Gemmel goal against Holland is still re replayed and watched over and over again. But from that point on, I think I like soccer. I played in, in the youth leagues here in Fremont, but from 1978 where I was, I think, so I was 11 at the time. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Wow. And so whatever soccer I could get my hands on, soccer made in Germany uh, with, with Toby Charles was, uh, was on here. We had another, another show with a guy called Mario Machado. It showed an English mm -hmm. Premier League match for one hour. Yeah. And it was like your, your weekend was revolving around watching those games. You know, As I got older, I got lucky enough, my father put this huge satellite uh, dish in our backyard. You thought my dad was some scientist, you know, that worked for NASA, but he was just a soccer crazy guy who wanted to watch. But your neighbors love that. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was this big, big black mushroom, you know, in the backyard. And we could watch TSN at the time, which is a Canadian show that, that showed English highlights, you know. So we grew up around and had brothers that played. I just, that's all I wanted to do. And so it's, it's still, you know, my kids played. Uh, they're a little bit older now. Uh, don't play as much as they did. And it's just, it's kind of, it's a life revolving thing. And I, you know, and I still, I, tonight it's like, okay, I got to be home because Kansas City's playing Minnesota. I want to watch that game. You know, there's Champions League on today. So there'll be, there'll be games on my TV and I'll be coming and going at times. But uh, for the most part, I'm sitting down watching it because it's just so fun. So fun. You, and as a coach, you can kind of learn along the way. But first and foremost, I'm still a fan and I still like right. watching the game, watching the play. Right. And, you know, uh, looking at your soccer career, I, I understand why now you walked away from your stand up comedy career. <laughs> that was fantastic it was to watch you you know we worked on it for a while and then all of a sudden yeah. you know you went up in front of all the players which is yeah. the hardest thing to do you know it was a packed house but um then you wore a beret for the first time i'm like wow he's got some chutzpah man going up yeah. Beret. yeah is he gonna do open up with some french jokes or what yeah the no that was a good time 
it was it was Oceanside, California is yes. where we were. So uh, I'll never forget it. And I never forget to be, you kind of helped me. We kind of did this little routine and uh, it kind of, it, it, it kind of made our friendship the way it is uh, today, Kevin, yeah. as you know, you know, so anytime he calls me, I get, I get so happy. And it always takes me back to those first time we kind of met each other. Well, it's amazing back then, you know, I could just hang out, you know, and talk to whoever I wanted interview whenever, just like you're kicking around. Now it's, you know, there's a lot more layers to go through to get to people. It's so it's, uh, yeah. it's tough. But Dominic, man, it's been wonderful to watch uh, your progression as just a, a walking bit of history for American soccer here in this country. First as a player, you know, with the national team in MLS as a player and as a, as a coach. And uh, man, it's just been, it's just been great. And um, we enjoy when you when you come on over the ball and uh, hope you talk to us again. And, you, you know, I'm moving out west, so we're going to have to hang and have a uh, tip a couple of pints, my friend. We really look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Great interview. I love the questions. And uh, obviously, it's great seeing you guys. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. I love talking to Dominic, huh? What a great guy. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. That's, uh, Sam, that's the first time you talked to him, right? Yeah, first time. Ton of experience. I mean, I love the story, just going down to yeah. Mexico, playing in Scotland, college. I mean, just he's done it all. Seems like a guy that would be great to play for, you know, because we've all we've all played for coaches that we've admired, and he just you get the vibe that Dom would be the kind of guy that you'd probably go through a wall for as a player. Right, yeah. you know, he's funny, but he's serious. Um, yeah. You know, was a good player, loves the game, um, unbelievably. So it's great to get caught up with him. Uh, and you know, and like I said, he used to, he was a hell of a player, man. He really was. In fact, I wanted to ask him about the outside backs now. You know, the wing backs mm-hmm. and how that position has changed so much. Because I think uh, he would have been perfect out there then. You know, as the game has sort of uh, e- evolved a little bit. And um, Sam, you know, thinking about it now, you mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, the announcers, you know, the Spanish announcers, the Italian announcers, we've always talked about the English announcers here and how they've sort of, they dominate how we do it here in the United Mm -hmm. States. I think that'd be a great show to put together to talk about that a little bit. Um, You know, but I think that's it, right? You got the Spanish language, you got the Italian, I I don't know, we could listen to some French stuff. Yeah. Uh, You know, it could be a science project for all of us in the homework. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's different everywhere. I'm sure there's stuff to learn from everywhere. And and like you always say, Kevin, I mean, we we do sports broadcasting pretty well in this country. And there's no reason we can't find our own stamp to put on this. I just found historically and in my journey through the, the broadcast industry, I have found that the senior people, the ones, the executives making the decisions do mm-hmm. not know soccer. And so, um, mm-hmm. it, unless like with the, the big exception being John Skipper Grail at ESPN, mm-hmm. I mean, he was a soccer fan, loved the game. Um, but most of them, I think, are just saying like, oh, um, you know, oh, the Premier League's big. And so let's just get the English guys. That's really the true authentic way to do it. And my point has always been, well, what is our way of doing it? And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you mentioned how Italians and Spanish uh, broadcasts, they do talk a lot. Yeah. Uh, and and, and I, don't mean they, I don't mean they talk over the action like with the color commentators, but right. they stay right on the action, especially when mm-hmm. there's an attacking move. You hear them start talking faster, getting more animated. Right. Um, and, you know, it was funny hearing John Champion say it's all about restraint. You know, it's all about holding yeah. yourself back, perspective. Um, well, so, I think, and I think you got to, you know, Flinny, since you're so big on getting the American voices and we got to kind of nurture those people right. along and have them mentored because, you know, we've already gone the Gus Johnson route, which was taking 
a guy from college football and trying to make him into a soccer commentator. Yeah, do you know who was, made that decision? An executive was, who didn't know the game. No, so it was a Fox yeah. executive and it was just a disaster because Gus Johnson just yelled basically for 90 minutes. And, and I did. really like Gus Johnson and I like what he did he's, with He's basketball. great doing college yeah. basketball. He was horrendous doing soccer. It was unfair to him. It was really unfair yeah. to him. So, yeah. uh, but you know, like listening to Dominic talk about, you know, his coaching style. I mean, he, Alan Hinton, he played for, Frankie Yallop, he played for and with, and, uh, and Bora Milutinovic. You, you take in all these, these other greats, these people you learn, and then you come up with your style of coaching. And I think yeah. Broadcasting, you hear a little of the English, but we have a huge Spanish population here in the states. What do you take from them? What do we, you know? So it, it's sort of an amalgamation of things. But you basically this rich melting pot we live in, America. Uh, we uh, will do it a certain way, and I just don't think people have been given the opportunity to do it yet. So yeah, yeah. All right. So how about a quiz, Sam? What do you got for us today? Yeah, I just got a, a short one for you guys. You mentioned uh, Kevin the FC 100, which is ESPN's ranking yeah. of the top 100 men's players by position. Um, so I thought it was interesting to take a look at the WhoScored.com ratings uh, this season. They do you know a rating out of 10 for every player for every match, and I'm not going to do. Uh, four of the top five leagues. I'm just going to tell you them. Uh, so in Serie A, the best player is Zlatan Ibrahimovic at 8.41. Wow. 39 Messi, years old. Love it. Amazing. Messi uh, is at 7.85 in the uh, Spanish league. He's the top player there. Lewandowski is the tops in the Bundesliga at 8.28. And Mbappe is the best in Ligue 1 at 8.46. Um, this doesn't include Champions League or Europa League. This is just uh, the league play. But I'm wondering if you guys could tell me who the current highest – Average rated player in the EPL is. I'm going to say De Bruyne. Kane. It's actually uh, Jack Grealish of Aston Villa. At that dude can play, man. He's got game. Kane, I, Kane's I, at number two. I do, not rate, I do not rate him over Kevin De Bruyne at all. Well, this this is you know based on stats. Somebody's got a somebody's got a man crush there, Sam. I think. No, no, no. Just no. Just in terms. No, I mean when you talk about affecting games, he's like an assist machine. He's just incredible. He had two more assists against Burnley, and I just think he make. He's one of those guys who just makes everybody better. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie, Grail. (laughs) No, look. I take him as my first guy in the playground. There's so many intangibles, you know, that, that yeah. when you watch a player play. So, uh, all right, guys. So, I'm watching Liverpool and the Wolves this weekend. What are you guys watching? I'm going to watch – maybe I'll be watching Chelsea Leeds. I know you're shocked by that. But also <laughs> Spurs Arsenal. Just Arsenal is floundering. My God, yeah. Arteta came in, did some magic, and now they're really – they're in 14th place. I mean, they, they – I think he'll sort it out because I think he's a really good manager. But they, they need some changes. You know, the players, I think, I think they're in trouble in the back. That's where it yeah. doesn't seem to work for them. So, Sam? A couple of good games elsewhere. Um, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Saturday, BN Sports, 10.15 a.m., uh, two teams in the top five in Spain. And then Bayern Leipzig uh, should be oh. a good one in yeah. Bundesliga, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. on ESPN+. And then I don't normally do this, but I just want to remind everybody to check out Salzburg Atletico in Champions League next Wednesday. Yeah. 3 p.m. on CBS All Access, if you have that. Kevin, I know you do, so you're psyched. <laughs> yeah, I've got but, By the way, Sam, just quickly, I thought it was really interesting in that player, the top 100 players, that ESPN thing, mm-hmm. the fact that Neuer and Thomas Mueller are back. Like, Mueller, those two guys have just recovered yeah. their games. Neuer's the number one keeper, and I think Mueller was the number two midfielder. 
um, ama yeah. amazing. Yeah, Mueller, and there's they talk were written Mueller off. Coming. They were both written off. Mm. And there's talk of Mueller coming back to, uh, you know, Yergi Lowe, giving him a call back. Because, uh, you know, he's the kind yeah. of player that creates a lot for other players. Player. It's amazing. Yeah. So, all right, everybody. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. We'd like to thank our guest, Dominic Kinnear. Always great to get caught up with Dom. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, my uh, hosts here, Sam Griswold, as well as Grail Hallett. Uh, this is Over the Ball, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time on OTB.